good evening. Hey, listen, a couple of things. Uh, first of all, let me begin by saying it is good to be here uh, for this GO conference. Uh, one only downside for me is the love of my life. Uh, I have been married for 32 years. Oh, yeah, thank you. Ab- oh, yeah, she- and listen, you would clap even loud if you saw her. She is fine, y'all. I mean, we have three adult children, and so it is, uh, I hate that you don't get a chance to meet my bride, Cynthia. Uh, The other thing that I want to talk about, I got to get this straight right now, uh, is I'm also here because I have an affection for this institution. Uh, I believe this institution is one of the game changers in our culture and in our world today. And also because I have a deep friendship a deep friendship, and I'll even say this, uh, I have a love for our president, Dr. Akins, and I'm gonna call him Danny for right now. Is that okay, Danny? Okay, good, yeah, good. And, and here's the reason why, because I, I, we haven't seen each other in a while, and so the first thing he says to me is, wow, what's this? And it's all gray. And so I've never, he's right, I, I typically cut it off, Uh, because I knew that this would happen. But I turned 59 this year. And and I really don't care anymore. The hair has been gone for a long time. And yeah, I'm trying to compensate down here just a little bit. But here's the other thing, especially tonight. Does there many high school students here? How many of you in high school? Raise your hand. Oh, yeah. Give me a yell. Absolutely. Absolutely. College students, give me a yell. Yes. There you go. Here's what I want to talk about. Tonight I have this opportunity to talk about the body, but, but really it was 42 years ago, 42 years ago when a coach said this to me. He says, James, what you do now at 17 will impact you for the rest of your life. Whatever you do now, whatever, who you are now changes you for the rest of your life. And you know, I think he was right because, and he would have us doing these crazy things, you know? And so one of the things he'd have us doing, and so this is for Danny who want to talk about a gray goatee. You see, The choices that you make, and no matter, it's never too early, it may sound strange, you're going to hear some things in these next, these next hours, these next two days, that hopefully will stretch you, that hopefully will cause you to want to be someone that you would have never imagined that you would be. But can I just tell you, so much of what you're going to hear, and there's some amazing communicators that we're going to hear from, what you do now is going to affect you for the rest of your life. And if that is true in the natural, I know that is true in the supernatural. So if you would join me, open your Bibles tonight. We're going to talk about a subject that when I first read this passage of Scripture, it was confusing. And I'll explain why in a few moments. 
But if you would turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Beginning with verse 12. Bear with me. Listen with me. The Apostle Paul says these words. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but many. If the foot should say... Because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body. That would not make it any less a part of the body. If the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think are less honorable, we bestow even greater honor. And on our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it. And there may be no division in the body, but that there are members who may have the same care, one for another. If one member suffers, all suffer. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now, you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. I approach this text with a great deal of humility because it was a confusing text for me. It was a confusing text for me early in my Christian journey, early when I placed my trust in Jesus and I read this text, and someone shared this with me, and it was, it was confusing, not confusing out of inspiration, because this is the inspired and errant word of God. Not confusing out of inspiration, but it was confusing because 2 Timothy says all Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for training, for reproof, so that the man or woman of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good Work. It was confusing because I had to ask the question because the Word of God says this so clearly, so succinctly. How is it that when I look back in history, people wrestled with difference? It was confusing because if this is true, the Word of God, how is it that church fathers... Church fathers who built this nation, how is it that on one hand they could say that the word of God is true and yet treat someone who was different as though they weren't human? How could people who believe in this book ever create some of the horrors to indigenous people? If this is true... How is it that there could be so many issues that would divide Christians? 
How is it that even Bible-believing, Bible-teaching people would ever have some of the confusion and chaos that exists? How could it be that there's so many issues that divide us? Maybe, perhaps, this is a very important text But in order to understand it, it gets even more confusing because Paul is writing this to a church that was confused. Paul is writing this to a group of people that was confused and had a great deal of chaos. The church at Corinth had a great deal, many issues that it was struggling with, and it was struggling with divisions. As a matter of fact, this text here comes as Paul is trying to clarify they had divisions because they had certain people who had certain gifts, and they had this gift and that gift, and so he's dealing with some of those divisions. It was confusing because when you read 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, you know that they had all sorts of divisiveness going on. They had all sorts of immoral things that were happening. They were sacrificing things and that was meant for idols. They were eating that food. They had class divisions. They couldn't get communion straight. And there was this interesting group of people because this is a seaport town. So that means you had different types of people who were influenced by different cultures all at the same time. You had Gentiles and Jews who also had their confusing dynamic in dealing with each other, but there were largely Gentile people here. You had slaves and free people here as well. You had economic disparity, and remember, this is not the same slavery as American slavery because you had this culture of disparity where you had the poor and you had the wealthy. So you had a wide economic range. You even had really in-depth societal people who were deep thinkers because Paul even mentions Erastus, who was a city treasurer at this time period. This was a place that was one of those city places. This was a place that experienced incredible growth. We had people coming from everywhere, very similar to this area, the Triangle, that is one of the fastest growing areas in the country. Now there are communities here in the Triangle where there are people who speak at least 10 and 12 languages in the same community. One of the realities is that you even had in this group non-believers. Because this church dealt with non-believers. As a matter of fact, dealt with non-believers probably a little bit too closely because Paul had to correct this idea of, of being unequally yoked. So they had moral issues. They had power dynamics. They had divisions because of class. They had complexity. Whenever we have complexity, though, we typically tend to come up with solutions to deal with those complexities on our own. One of the books that I read in high school that I loved blew my mind was a book by Mary Shelley. Mary Shelley, her life was shaped with a great deal of trauma and complexity. As a matter of fact, when you look at her real story, when she wrote this book, uh, she was pregnant at the time. But she was a young girl who even after her birth, her her mom had died of a fever and, and to the point to where she eloped and married someone who really separated from their wife. And so her half sister died of suicide. And even just before the publication of this novel, She had given birth, so she wrote this book that I'm going to talk about in the time period when she was giving birth to a child. 
The genius of her work was this idea. It was this idea that a Dr. Victor Frankenstein can create a human, can create the perfect human, a human that would be eight feet tall. Dr. Frankenstein, in the idea that Shelley had, would, would have the best intentions of creating the perfect human. Now, the only problem is, is that he would take the parts of dead people and sew those parts together. So he would go to graveyards, get dead people's parts, and try to make, create the perfect body. Then the challenge with that as well, and when I read the book, you begin thinking about it. Well, what about the brain? And, and the problem with the brain is, even science will let you know, is you get a brain that's been unhooked from the body, there's no memory at all. So in some ways created this perfect human sewn together with parts of dead people to create the perfect human body. Sometimes I wonder if we're like Frankenstein. That we've taken the ideas of dead people. We've taken the ideas and the philosophies of things that do not work, and we sort of piecemeal those ideas together and think we can come up with the perfect ideas or the perfect human being, and it's really dead ideas that have no life at all. I wonder if that's what's happened to us, that we're more like Frankenstein than like Jesus. What I want to suggest to us tonight is when we live out God's plan in the world, we will see and experience the beautiful body of Christ. But if we're not careful, we will see a monster like Frankenstein. Paul, in his text, he gives us this model. Paul, in his genius, because he understood that in Corinth, they would understand bodies. And, and he's even talked about bodies even before this text. Because for those of us who have read the Bible, it was probably mind-blowing. Because he's even having to correct them in communion. Because in communion, Jesus says, this is my body that is broken for you. Paul also uses an illustration that they could understand. Here's why the Bible is always so relevant to culture. Because understand, he's dealing with people who were carnal because 1 Corinthians chapter 3 lets you know they were carnal people. So he uses an illustration of the body that would be mind-blowing for them, that they could get their minds around. And so that's why I believe he works this illustration. And so he says in verse 12, he's establishing something here. Just as there are different members of the body, and all the members of the body, the member of one body, so it is with Christ. So he's talking about Jesus. Here's the first thing I want you to understand. Our model for a body and who we are as a body is Jesus. He is our model. But even in this verse, what's so interesting is that there are different ways that we try to communicate this. I want you to see an image on the screen. So we think maybe the body is all these different people, and then you got a head of someone who looks like Jesus. And even the problem with this one is, is that this is really not a biblical model for so many reasons here. One is it's interesting that the head, isn't it interesting that people often have Jesus of Norway rather than Jesus of Nazareth? Because Jesus was not a blonde-haired, blue-eyed guy from Norway. As a matter of fact, he was much more close to Palestinians. Just a side note, I often think about this. Would Jesus make it through airport security today? We have all these ideas 
Yet Paul now is going to do something and say something here. He's saying that in these verses that, that again, there are many members, one body, so it is with Christ. And, and then he says, verse 13, for in one spirit, supernaturally, the spirit of God, the power of God, we were all baptized. That word baptized here is baptizo. It means identified with. We were all identified in one body. And he makes it clear. Even the distinctions of Jew, Greek, slave, or free, all were made to drink of one spirit. Here's the first thing I really want you to understand. Our mind our model is Jesus. I got good news for you. Our model is Jesus, and we had nothing to do with it. We were placed into Christ. When you and I placed our trust in Christ, guess what? We become the body of Christ. We were baptized. We were identified with him. Here's what's so incredible. You do not lose your distinctiveness even though you were, when you were placed in Christ. I used to be afraid of becoming a, a Christ follower because most of the Christ followers I saw were geeky. I mean, I really didn't want to become a serious, sold-out Christ follower because they just look. And I was a martial artist. That's why I did the splits here and everything. So I was a karate instructor. And I thought, oh, my God, I haven't seen any good karate instructors that love Jesus. Thank God I can kick you in the name of Jesus. Absolutely. That's not true. Things had to change a great deal. <laughs> but we're in Christ. We don't lose our cultural differences. We don't even lose sometimes our social differences, neither Jew nor Greek. We don't lose our racial differences, but we are in Christ. One body. And we all are baptized in Christ. This is why for me, I am not intimidated. Why? Because we all are in Christ. <laughs> Notice what else he says. He says, this happened because of the Spirit. This happened because it was the Spirit. This is why all throughout the Bible you see that you've been chosen before the foundation of the world. In Ephesians, you were blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. In Romans, you were adopted. All of it is the supernatural living work of the Spirit. See, so when we live out God's plan, the world experiences the beautiful body of Christ. But then secondly, I just want you to see the design of the body. Look at what he says here in verse 14. For the body now does not consist of one member but many. Uh, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, that would, make it, that would make it any less part of the body here. And then he talks about how the body is designed. The ear, uh, again, the eye, and the whole body can't be an ear, whole body can't be an eye. And so he's talking about something here in the design of the body. Here's where Paul introduces that the body of Christ is one of the most unique advanced systems that you can ever imagine. See, one of the things that's interesting is, is that when we think of Jesus and think of Christianity, we think in terms of individually, that you got to individually place your trust in Christ. The only thing that's individual is that God calls you, but as soon as you come to know Christ, you become a part of a system. You become a part of some. So, again, if it's just personal relationship between you and God, be very careful. Sometimes it's so personal that God doesn't even know about it. Because when you place your trust in Jesus, what Paul is saying here is you become a part of a system. That's the idea that he's introducing. And it's a system that is so important 
That the model of Jesus that he uses, he puts on flesh and he dwells among us. He uses language here that it says this system transcends and is not like any other system. It sounds complex, but what he's saying here in this point, the design of the body is it is interdependent on one another. Here's what that means. You and I cannot function alone. I think the body, and this is because of my martial arts background, and I'm not endorsing this, so parents, please don't get mad with me. But have you ever watched boxing or UFC? That's brutal. I'm not suggesting that you need to do that. But you know what is always funny to me? Well, either if it's a Rocky movie or everything else, here's, here's what's so crazy, is that when the fighter wins, the whole corner cheers. And if you ever notice that the fighter is dependent on the guy that's in the corner that couldn't win a fight if, he, if you blew wind on him, but he said, hit him. Do the left. And then when they get in the corner, you got the guy patching him up, patching him up and everything. And he says, get him. It's a team who wins. Here's what Paul is saying. The design of the body of Christ is a team. We win because we're connected together. It's designed so that we'll be a team. Now, here's the other thing that he mentions here in this text, because he says, here's what's different about the body of Christ than any other body is this, verse 32. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts that we think receive less honor, we bestow even greater honor. The other thing that the body is designed, here's how God designed it, that the weaker parts, the parts you don't think about, are the most important parts. Do you realize that, for example, your plica simulinaris, if it stops functioning, plica simulinaris, here's what the plica, and I was so glad to use that word, plica simulinaris, here's what it is. Let me tell you what the plica simulinaris is. The plica simulinaris is, is that pink part that's right there in the corner of your eye. Now, you don't even think about it, but if I didn't have a plica simulinaris, I would not be able to look here or look there. I would always only because it's the plaque of Sunlinaris that lets me turn my eye and see what's going over here and see what's going over there. That little small part is what makes the eye work. Oh, let me go a little simpler, eyelids. Can you imagine if your eyelids stopped working? You would be one of the creepiest people we've ever seen. <laughs> hey, James. <sighs> Could you imagine someone sleeping with their eyes open all night long? But because of eyelids, I'm able to close my eyes and have beautiful dreams. And If it wasn't for eyelids and the plaque of that my eyes would not work. Those weaker parts make the body function. When's the last time you thank God for your eyelids? When's the last time you thank God for your plaque of It's been a long time. You haven't done that. But God has so arranged the body so that even the weaker parts have say-so in how life works. So that means, sorry, Dr. Akins, everybody doesn't need to be a preacher. 
That means, yes, you can come to this school and go to seminary and figure out because in the body of Christ, even those that may seem to be weaker, that you have a part in the body. And that is why you say, James, why are you so angry? Why are you so, sound like you're angry? Why are you so passionate right now? Because listen, teens, you are part of the body of Christ. Ninth graders, are there any freshmen in here? Give me a yell. Freshman, we got work to do. There you go. Thank you. But you are a part of the body of Christ. This is what makes Jesus' body so different. And I pray you don't come from churches that put youth in the corner. You're going to hear expository teaching. Why? Because you are part of the body of Christ. And that's what Paul is saying. That's what makes our body different than the world's body. In the world, Frankenstein has classism because he has to be eight feet tall. He has to be given all the best parts. In God's economy, he doesn't need the best parts. In God's economy, he can take a man from a no-name place, a carpenter's son, a place you can't even find on the map, die on a cross and change the world because he uses the weaker parts to change the world. Paul is saying the body of Jesus, the body of Christ, the weaker, the better. Every part has something to do. Every part makes a difference. But then thirdly, there is a difficult distinction of the body of Christ. Here's a difficult distinction. Verse 25 that there may be no division in the body, but that the members have the same care one for another. No division in the body. This word in the original language means no schisms. What he's talking about here, he's not talking about no, no, you know, he's not talking about uniformity. He's not talking about that we all need to be the same. But what he's saying here, he, makes, he gives clarity when you read the rest of the sentence. There's no division in the body, but that the members have the same care one for another. Grant Richardson says it this way. He says, the Greeks used to use the word schism for a plow that cuts the ground and makes furrows. In other words, a schism is something that leaves scars. And what Paul is saying here is this, is that instead of leaving scars, we're known for caring for one another. The reason why there's no division, here's why you know there's no division, because people care for one another. You don't know that there's no division simply because you got a church that has different people in it. You can still not really represent the body of Christ and have a church that may have different people here. This doesn't mean that we're representing the body of Christ simply because you're listening to an African-American speaker and you're going to listen to a white speaker simply because you're listening to someone who can do splits and you're going to listen to someone who, I'm not sure Dr. Aiken can do a split, maybe he'll surprise us uh, in a few moments. What he's talking about here is much more powerful than that because his body is known for this. Here's a distinction here, is that there are no one who is creating scars because when you create a scar, you got to make sure that there's scars, but those scars can heal. And in the body of Christ, we care for one another in such a way that even when there are scars, 
We make sure that they can heal. So here's what we've got to be careful for. No divisions so that we create scars. And when we heal those scars, we don't use Band-Aids that only certain people can identify with. Have you ever noticed how Band-Aids are only designed for white people? <laughs> the church is different because the church recognizes that there are all types of people who can be wounded, who can be hurt. And when we cover those scars, we take time, we give attention. Here's why. Because we esteem even the lesser parts. Paul is making it clear. Here's what makes the body different. Notice what he says in the text, that you care for one another. In other words, there's no partiality in how I care for others. When you're in the body of Christ, every issue that happens to the body of Christ, we care for one another. But I want you to notice something else here. He gives even further character because some of us go, well, what does caring look like? Here's what he says in verse 26. Here's what caring looks like. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. See, what the body of Christ looks like, here's what makes us different than any other body in the world, is this, is that we care for one another. And if we suffer, we suffer together. You, you see it in John chapter 11, when Jesus is going to raise Lazarus from the dead. You know what's mysterious about John chapter 11 is verse 35? It's the shortest verse in the Bible. And it used to be my go-to verse when, when adults used to torture you in Sunday schools and they bring up kids in front of the church and you had to quote a verse. That was torture. That was Baptist torture. I don't know if y'all still do that, but they used to do that. And every week I go, okay, what's my verse? What's my verse? Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. And then I get scared and I, my go-to verse was John 11 verse 35. Jesus wept. And thank God adults with this clap. Oh, yes, that's so good. I didn't know how deeply theological I was as a child. Because the fact that Jesus wept is a deep theological reality here because why in the world is he crying when he knows he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead? Here's why he's crying, because Jesus is suffering with Mary. When you look in the verses before that, it says, and when he saw them weeping, Jesus wept. What does the body look like? We suffer together. So we don't go political when we hear of children being detained at the border. We suffer with them. We don't take sides when we hear of someone that is murdered by a policeman. We suffer with the victim, but we suffer with the policeman as well. That's what's mysterious about the body of Christ. We don't take sides. We suffer with everyone. We feel with them. It even means we read history very differently. Because instead of saying, well, I didn't do anything, I, that wasn't me. No, we suffer. We suffer when we hear believers that are being persecuted in China. We suffer when we hear believers that have been hit by famine. We suffer with them. The body of Christ, which says this, is what's unique about us. Paul says, we suffer together. We suffer when we see someone at school who's being picked on. We suffer with them. We suffer when a family is going through difficult times. We suffer with them. We're touched 
when we hear of mental illness. We suffer with them. That is the body of Christ. We suffer together when we see incarcerated people who have lost their fathers because they're incarcerated. We suffer with them. We suffer together. You got a glimpse of this. It's always amazing to me. Whenever there's a Super Bowl, we're in North Carolina, Raleigh, Cary, Chapel, wherever you live, Wake Forest. Do you know that there were Chiefs, Kansas City Chief fans? Wow! I'm going. You're not even from Kansas City. Isn't it amazing? You went to East Carolina, but you will still be upset whether Duke beats Chapel Hill. And that's probably going to happen this year. Sorry. Have you ever noticed how people, and look, and they're even sorry, guys. I got to pick on you. There's some of you, 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 we can tell you never played basketball. We can tell you were not, you were never an athlete. But you will wear the jersey as if you can play. And then, here's what's so crazy, then you can't even talk to each other. There will be Carolina fans and Duke fans, and they didn't even go to the school. And on Monday, they can't even speak to each other. How in the world could they so identify with something that they didn't have anything to do with? All the more reason why we identify because we're a part of the body of Christ. We identify because we're connected by the blood of Jesus. We identify because we've been baptized in the body of Christ. All the more reason why if there's really the body of Jesus, we suffer together. But not only do we suffer together, we cheer together. If someone is being honored, even if I think I'm better than they are, even if I wonder, how did they get this? How come it can never be me? How come he always? We cheer together. This evening, you're the body of Christ. And that's the last thing that Paul says here that I want to end with, verse 27. Verse 27, he says it very clearly. We rejoice together. But verse 27, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. You're the body of Christ. You're the body of Christ. If you're the body of Christ, then that changes the way we function in the world. Because how did Jesus function in the world? He came to set the captives free. You're the body of Christ. He came to give sight to the blind. You're the body of Christ. He came to touch people that nobody else would touch. You're the body of Christ. He came to, to go across the line with political allies that politically you wouldn't even connect with. You're the body of Christ. He goes to the places with unclean people. You're the body of Christ. You're not the body of Frankenstein with ideas that were sewn together. And the reason why maybe we get this confused about being the body of Christ is because maybe many of us have a caricature of Jesus rather than the character of Jesus. 
Because when you got a caricature of Jesus, you will only have a Jesus that is blown out of proportion on one particular issue. But when you have the character of Jesus and you're the body of Christ, then you see that I've got to be like Jesus all throughout the Bible and not just like Jesus in the Gospels. But if you're the body of Christ, then in Genesis, because Jesus was right there, Jesus is the creator. And so if you're the body of Christ, you should be creative. If you're the body of Christ, in Leviticus, he's the high priest. That means praying for the people. So if you're the body of Christ, you should be about prayer. If you're the body of Christ, Jesus shows up in numbers. He's water in the desert. That means you should want to bring relief to people in dry, impossible places if you're the body of Christ. If you're the body of Christ and judges, he's the deliverer. He's the just judge. If you're the body of Christ, then you must be concerned about justice because Jesus is concerned about justice. If you're the body of Christ in Ruth, he's the kinsman redeemer. He's known for redeeming. If you're the body of Christ, who are you redeeming? Who's that person that's the outsider that you're going to make sure becomes an insider? If you're the body of Christ in 2 Samuel, he's the king of grace and love. If you're the body of Christ, you got to be known for your grace and love. If you're the body of Christ in Ezra, he's proclaiming freedom. If you're the body of Christ, he's the one who receives stores what is broken down the body of Christ should always be building what is broken down the body of Christ should see every news story as an opportunity for us to take action if you're the body of Christ then in Proverbs he's our wisdom we are wise if we're the body of Christ if you're the body of Christ in the song of Solomon he's the author of faithful love the body of Christ should be known for love the body of Christ I should have that philosophical Marvin Gaye moment when he says, what's going on? What's going on? We got to find a way to bring some loving here today. And if you don't know what that is, Google it. You will understand it. But the body of Christ is always saying love is the answer. If you're the body of Christ, Daniel, Shadrach, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the book of Daniel, they were in the fiery furnace. And what does the Bible say? It says there was a forth with him and it's a theophany of the son of God so if you're the body of Christ Jesus doesn't avoid the fire Jesus doesn't avoid the difficult places we show up in the midst of the difficult places being willing to dwell with those who have to be in those difficult places and if you're the body of Christ then Christ is supreme if you're the body of Christ then you're willing to be bold because you know even though when it looks like all is lost they nailed his hand they nailed his feet. We don't mind scars in the body of Christ. But three days later, he rises again from the dead. We are a resurrection people, and it's not too late. And we look at this world, and we understand it's not too late. We're the body of Christ. Because if you're not going to be the body of Christ, The alternative is horrific. Last image. Frankenstein will work, but he's still a monster. And you can try to sew things together, do things our way, create ideas that are not even biblical ideas. But the world needs to see the beautiful body of Jesus. 
not experience a monster. And thank God, we're the body of Christ. His spirit hadn't finished yet. He's going to do a work with us. He died on the cross, rose again from the dead, so that nothing can stop us from being his beautiful body. Can I pray for us? Father, I, I thank you for your word. And Lord, as I am living and many of us are, and we just go, what? What are we going to do? When we look at the data, we look at how the world is becoming even more divided. We look at arguments. When we look at, when we look at our social media, we just wonder, is there any hope? And Father, we are thankful that you are our hope. But what's so incredible is we're your body. <laughs> Father, I pray that there will be someone here, several here, who will say, we are the body of Christ. We will make the difference no matter where we are. This conference is called Go. We will go because <laughs> we're your body, your beautiful body, your resurrected body. And it's in the name of the beautiful Christ we pray and have hope. So let it be.